everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of Shipping Up to Boston, a very shippy Brazilian Isles podcast. It's me, Kathy. Yeah, girl. Finally done from my powerlifting stuff for the year, so I can actually dedicate myself full-time to this and all the other stuff I do. Um, I'm glad I didn't have to interrupt my schedule. I get really mad when I can't put stuff out on time. Also, I am a fellow you know, podcast follower, and I, I definitely have had my moments when, you know, stuff doesn't update on time and whatever. Um, so I go back and forth on this episode. I think it's witty. I think it's really witty. Um, it was written by the same guy who wrote the previous episode, Dave Kaplan and Joel Fields. Um, Joel is the executive producer of almost all of season one. I think I already said that. Directed by Nelson McCormick. Um, he did this and then a random episode in season two. That's about all I saw. Oh, he did Aquarius. Another, you know, David Duchovny show. So I can mention David Duchovny. It's like six degrees of David Duchovny on here. Um, so this is the episode where... And strangely enough with the episode before it, talk a lot about money and classism, and class issues, so, like, both of these episodes kind of start almost pitting Jane and Mora against each other. Um, I know that, obviously, they don't, like, break up or anything, but it shows you more of where Mora comes from wealth-wise and community-wise. And where Jane comes from, trying really hard to establish that Mora came from the top and Jane came from the bottom. And now they're, you know, both like civil servants meeting in the middle. And uh, I think it's kind of cool. I don't really know any other shows that really do that. Um, I I don't know how I feel about it, that particular aspect. Um, I've never been rich, so I have no idea what it's like to be rich. So honestly, my only, <laughs> like like, any exposure to being, like, affluent or wealthy is this show. So, very limited knowledge. Um, if you happen to be rich or affluent, no shame, uh, feel free to uh, explain it to me if you want to. But uh, also, I really like the idea that Jane is, like, represented as someone who came from the bottom, someone who wasn't necessarily, like, a... Like, um like a pity story, but that she's very, you know, working class, blue collar, her dad has his own business, you know, she, but she does have both parents, they live in a nice house, but, you know, it's kind of cool to see something like that, because usually you see, like, all kinds of nasty junk, but, uh, so this episode, it starts off <laughs> with Jane and Maury in the park, talking about love at first sight, and, uh, pretty much just kind of watching these two people, I don't know, talk to each other, trying to ship them. And, uh, I, you can kind of tell that these people aren't meant to be together. Like, they don't match. Like, they don't have any, like, I don't know, chemistry. I mean, you only see them for, like, ten seconds, but they're wearing, like, nondescript running outfits. And I just want to say that if you ever caught me running outside, I would not look like that. And this woman is doing something wrong because this man has headphones in. And we all know that if you have headphones in, you don't talk to somebody. 
Anyway, so Jane and Maura start talking about, you know, love at first sight, and Jane sucks at true love, and Maura says people are attracted to people who are attracted to them, which, you know, seems a little bit jaded, but I don't know. I just want to mention that they both look adorable in running gear, um, and it's adorable how they answer their phone in tandem, although I feel like that's something that doesn't really happen towards the end of the season. It's kind of cute in the beginning, but it could definitely get annoying pretty fast because, honestly, if someone's on the phone next to you, it's only polite to walk away. Anyway, and then haha jokes on them, the guy's gay. So, I don't know. Also, if you're sweaty from, like, running, don't kiss me. Please don't. Save that for a different time. Um, so they both get phone calls and they head to a crime scene. This one happens to be on a dock somewhere, which is very, like, it's very good at portraying the fact that it's Boston. Um, but, um, they, Jane asks to see the body. They open this body bag and you see just this guy. And I'm not going to lie. All I can see is his butt chin. Like, his face, sure. His chin, that's all I can focus on. Does it make me a bad person? Maybe. But he's just easily recognizable because of that. You never even really see him again. Um, Mora says that ID isn't necessary and Jane looks very confused for a moment and then is like, oh, you know him. And then Mora is like, yes, this is Adam Fairfield. I used to date his brother Garrett. Or was engaged? Date? Yes, engaged. Uh, Garrett Fairfield was an ex-boyfriend. They dated when Maura was about 20, and so we know that Maura's in her 30s, like lower 30s. Um, I know Jane's mentioned her, na her name, her age before, um, but so about 10 years ago, like the famous 10 years ago, um, Jane says, you know, do you want to go notify the family? And Maura says she doesn't want to, but she will, and my question is... So they show up at the Fairfields. How much time has passed? Because, like, they just found the dude. And they're already having a funeral? Like, I know it's not... Like, a, I don't know if it's not... It's not the celebration of life that happens later in the episode. Are they having a party? Because everyone seems to be, like, already dressed in black and somber. Like, they already know. But they, they're going to notify the family... And I don't know if someone narked ahead, but these guys already know this dude's dead. So, I don't know. I feel like they could have done a little bit better job explaining what, how much time has passed and or if the family already knew. Um, anyway, so they go into this castle almost. And then Mara's like, oh, you know, they have a castle in Scotland. And then just, oh, this is a really nice car. And we can already tell that Frost is now in a romantic relationship with that car. Yes, I'm referring to the Strange Addiction episode because I can see it. I don't necessarily ship it, but I can definitely see it. Um, Jane makes an offhand comment about um, how, you know, this place is a castle. It's huge. And then Mara, Mara says that Garrett liked the finer things in life. And then Jane says, yeah, he liked you, which is cute. Kind of shippy because we know Mara is one of the finest things in life. Uh, so they walk into this extremely well-decorated home. Very gold, very shiny. Although, 
I don't know if I believe it, but it looks really nice. Uh, they see the Mayflower Manifest, like, oof. <laughs> the original guy named Balthazar Fairfield, which honestly kind of sounds like one of those, like, evil entities on Charmed. I'm just saying. Um, and then they, Frost goes on a tangent about how they kept slaves, so I've now dubbed him Social Justice Frost. Um, they go and find a man named Sumner, and I'm like, what are these names? They did a pretty good job naming these people to have, like, affluent white people names, because you've got, like, Sumner, Balthazar, Adam Garrett. Like, they definitely, they sound rich. Um, so they go up to a woman named Jocelyn, who was his wife. And then at this point, I kind of got distracted because this lady just keeps crying. But Maura's hair is so good. And I don't know if any other season or anything Sasha Alexander's ever done will top this hair. I'm not sure. Please let me know. Okay. And then I'm like, pregnancy glow? Because we know Sasha Alexander's pregnant. So maybe she's just making her hair look really nice. Um, so then they go to tell the family... And Mora kind of takes the side of the family while the family lawyer tells Jane he'll be like the middleman between the two. And Jane is pretty offended that Mora is taking the family side and pretty much discredits Jane right in front of the family. Um, in my opinion, professionally, not professionally. I don't think Mora would really do this. I know I always say this is the beginning of the series, so she doesn't necessarily have a solid character pattern yet. But it just kind of strikes me as out of character because it seems like that she's a professional first and foremost, so she would understand. But I get that this episode needs her to do that for it to work. So, like, I get the obvious, like, Mora needs to start the class divide between her and Jane, and Jane needs to feel uncomfortable and kind of almost embarrassed um but yeah and then angela joins a pyramid scheme so <laughs> we all have those people on our social media feeds that try to wrangle us into shoddy products like makeup w w fake weight loss supplements uh you know just literally anything if there is a thing you can buy there's a multi-level marketing scheme behind it. It's just a fact of life. And I'm not going to lie, Angela Rizzoli has the perfect voice for doing this because it is loud and it carries. And you know, I'm not going to knock a good hustle, but like, if I was at a bar or a coffee shop and I saw some lady screaming about Avon, I would definitely, definitely hightail it out of there. So, uh, Corsac is a sucker because of course he is, because even now you're getting like the little teeny tidbits that make you kind of ship Corsac and Angela. And I'm here for it because like, I love that pairing and I honestly don't remember what happens to them just because it's been like five years since I've seen this series. <laughs> and so I have no idea. And also sometimes, sometimes you just forget what's part of the series and what's actually fan fiction. And, like, with this series in particular, because it was kind of a one-off type of, like, show without a lot of, like, carryover story-wise, you can kind of just, like, pitch any sort of story and it kind of works. Um, they talk about how Carla Tolucci fell for a Nigerian bank scam. 
And as someone who works in shipping, I can tell you 100% every single day I catch someone, all kinds of people, trying to ship cash to the lottery or getting swindled over Facebook Messenger. It is definitely a thing that still happens. And it's funny that they mentioned that someone would fall for that. And also, I have one slight constructive criticism, and it's that those bottles of juice look very fake. I know that they don't have a huge art department, but, like, I mean, they're pretty. But, uh, I just think they look a little fake, but that's just me. So, we switch scenes, and now we're in the morgue, and the news is on and reporting about the Fairfields, which is so, so sad. Apparently, that they're a founding, like, family of the city, then I'm sure everybody knows who they are. I have no idea who the founding families in my city are, but it, uh, Boston is much bigger than where I live. Uh, Jane comes down to the morgue and kind of confronts Mora about her leaving her high and dry in front of the Fairfields, and Mora gets kind of defensive and says that she couldn't let Jane badger the family. And then Jane gets really mad and says, Badger, is that how you describe my job? And I'm on Jane's side for this because Mora is kind of in the wrong here. And Jane is not in the wrong, but acting very Jane-like. Um, it's only made worse by the fact that Mora is not technically thinking with her work brain. And is thinking with a lot of personal feelings involved, even though she claims to not have any. And we all know that Mora also does not like conflict. And so it seems like she's really confused about why Jane could be mad at her. And I get it because she's just never had the life Jane has, so she's not going to get it. Um, Mora says that the Fairfields helped build the city. And then Jane says, my grandfather was an iron worker. He helped build the city. And I, uh, that was good. That was snappy. Like, T, he did. I support iron workers. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was, a, it's a good commentary. Um, Jane is obviously projecting a lot. Because, especially in the last episode, she was really insecure about the fact that she didn't go to college and people kept throwing it in her face, even though I think maybe she was reading a little bit too far into some of the things that were being said to her. Now Jane is taking everything personally in the fact that she doesn't belong in this social circle, so she's out of her league and out of her experience. Um, and it's got a personal tie to it where she can't say anything too disparaging about affluent people because she's also grouping more in with those generalizations. Um, Frost, uh, they, they cut to Brick and Frost is laughing, saying it's like a game of Clue. And if you listen, they, he almost gets it, even though he's just joking. Um... Corsac makes a comment about how these people think they're royalty, and that's true. That's true. A lot of people in, like, smaller areas but rich areas do happen to think that they are royalty because they are catered to and they don't know much else other than yes, 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 yes. They find out that Garrett has a clothing company and that the oldest son, Adam, used to own, like, the family business, but then got ousted by his younger brother. I'm sorry, I have that backwards. He ousted the younger brother 
Um, and now the younger brother is managing some sort of food pantry. And so they're like, ooh, like, there's some motive there, like, why he would kill him. Um, and I just wanted to say that I think it's really cute that Frost and Corsac are working together. Like, I see that. I, they used to fight all the time and bicker, but now they're with each other helping, like, investigate. So I think that's neat. Um, so the youngest brother kind of says, like, a, uh, like, a, you know how the game's played, and then <laughs> Frost says, I've never played the entitled game. Oh my god, that was Corsac, that wasn't Frost. I'm having a minute. Um, and then the youngest brother mentions that brothers don't kill brothers. Now, that's a through line through this whole episode is that brothers do not kill brothers. Um, so they kind of just, like, watch production, watch how the guy talks to the guys around him and how it, they just make it look like he's working below his means. Like, he's doing slum work. He's working with the people behind the stuff. He should be rich and stuff like that. So we cut to the morgue, and Corsac's down there, and might I say that his tie with that suit looks very nice. I love Corsac. He's great. Uh, they talk about cashmere, and then Corsac tries to guess the price, and he is very off. And that's my cat. <laughs> uh, Mora notices that the shirt should be softer, but doesn't really say anything about it. And that's kind of... Uh, not an Easter egg, but it's kind of what leads into the end of the, like, what leads into the finale of the episode and what it really, like, what happens. Also, if you hear any noises, my cats will not leave me alone. And I record in my living room so I can watch the episode while I'm talking. And they will not leave me alone because they have to be the center of tension at all times. So anyway. Anyway, um... So Corsac is like asking more a bunch of questions about floaters and she's like this is my 43rd floater and the fact that she knows that is very Mora and then she asks why are you down here and not Jane and then Corsac gives Mora the necessary information that Jane had a different upbringing. She was raised you know not from dirt but she had two very hard-working parents and was not born into riches and now that she's like, uh, she works very hard for what she's had. And it kind of indicates that Mora has not worked hard. But, which isn't true. But it just shows, like, like, Corsac's, like, she's from the same neighborhoods I'm from. Like, like there are bottles outside, needles outside, from Southie or whatever. And, uh, it just, it, it explains to Mora, who seems to be taking it in, but kind of confused. So we go back upstairs, and... Frankie comes over and says something to Jane. He says that he noticed his mother was wearing lipstick and just mentions the fact that they think that Angela is going to leave their father. Now, we don't really hear from Frank Rizzoli ever, really. Uh, but the fact that he would no Frankie would notice his mom wearing lipstick and that suddenly means that she's going to leave is a bit far-fetched. I think he's reading too far into things. And also, if that's literally the only indicator that someone's going to leave their husband... I have a startling revelation for you and that people wear lipstick a lot. All people wear lipstick. It doesn't mean they're leaving anybody. Um, so the, the Fairfield's lawyer comes in and Jane and him are yelling back and forth. And she kind of says, like, I know where you're from. 
I ran your background. You're from where I'm from. And I'll make you go back there. Trying to get some mutual respect. And the lawyer just says, my father collected trash. And the Fairfields offer me an opportunity to be better. But you can see the way he speaks. That he's kind of indoctrined to believe that he owes them everything because they gave him a chance. Which I, I'm not a fan of that mentality. It's really sad that he would put his life and his career on, you know, on the edge for this family. Who probably literally does not care and would fire him and have someone hired in 20 minutes. Like, that's just the fact. Um... And the lawyer says something kind of weird and mean, saying that, like, Jane has a promising career and it would be really horrible if someone ruined it. Which is, like, that's, like, third grade antics. Like, you don't gotta do that. Okay, so, Frost and Corsac are talking again. They kind of talk about oysters and how they should be eaten and how, you know, oysters and then... Frost says La Maison de la Mer, which is a very generic name for a French restaurant, but, you know, it's fine. Um, so, uh, they ask Mora to come with, and she's like, oh, sure. And, uh, I don't know, they talk about seafood, how to eat oysters, and, uh, Frost is very in his league. Corsac is not. Corsac is very awkward. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but Maison de la Mer means house of the sea, or, like, house on the sea. So, like, it would obviously have seafood. I don't know. Anyway, so they're at this very fancy restaurant where they serve some sort of oysters. I don't know. I'm allergic to shellfish and regular fish, so I literally never eat any of this, which is good because it keeps everything cheaper. Um, oysters are awkward. And then Mora says dry, metallic, delicious, which, like, I think I'm going to use that if I ever make a Tinder. Um, so, it's very obvious that Corsac is out of place. He kind of says a lot of nasty things about the menu and the price in front of the entire place. And that poor man who is finding them a receipt looks very awkward and all of them look embarrassed. You'll see this later when Jane is with Mora at a table and she does the same thing. Which, you know, Corsac and Jane are from the same place, blah, 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 same feelings. It's just funny that it happens to Mora twice in this episode. So they find out that the Fairfields were here together. Like they had a girl, when he had a girlfriend or something, or he really liked to eat salads with dressing on the side. And as someone who worked in food service, everybody orders dressing on the side. It's not just the pompous thing, but you know, that's fine. Uh, so, we cut back to the morgue. Mora is playing with organs. How nice. Uh, Jane brings some fancy chocolate with some gold flecks in it. And I'm never eating gold because that's just above my means. <laughs> uh, she brings down that juice that Angela is selling. and was going to ask her to test it. And then... Mora asks, is that an apology? And says the chocolate. And then Jane gets really mad. But it's this is on Jane. Because Jane went in there with that chocolate thinking that it was going to hurt Mora. She didn't go in. It's not actually apology chocolate. She's trying to make another commentary and get back at Mora. 
And then Mora says, is this an apology? <laughs> and then Jane gets really mad because she doesn't think she's in the wrong. And Mora doesn't think she's in the wrong. And poor Corsac never asked for any of this, but here he is talking between the two. But at least now he has his best friend Frost on his side. Uh, Jane says something along the lines of, you know, why are you slumming down here with the rest of us? And Mora looks truly hurt. And she says, this is, that's where I'm from. That's not where I chose to stay. And it's true. She talks a lot about how she doesn't frequent that circle anymore. She doesn't live that type of life. And you've seen Mora's house and will continue to see Mora's house, even if they're not the same house. Um, and see that, you know, Mora is affluent, but like she says later, she has most of her money tied up in charitable donations. So it's not like she's like, I don't know, Jeff Bezos not paying any taxes. So she also says to Jane, I want my life to have meaning and purpose, same as you. And I think that's a really powerful line. I like that because there have been times where people at my place of employment, wherever I was, were obviously not hurting for money and not worried about what they spent. And I did judge them and I did say sometimes bad things about them, not to them, but, you know, and it comes from a place of feeling inadequate. Sometimes they're really entitled to. That's fine. Um, but it's nice to remind myself and others that everyone just wants meaning and purpose in their life. And you can't really fault them for that. So we cut to a pool where Garrett is swimming. And of course we have to have a shirtless man. That's how we get viewers, you know. Uh, Mora sits down and dips her feet, sees in the, in the pool, which is adorable. But also I don't even want to know about how much her suit costs because it's probably more than a make in a year um i'm not gonna lie they do look kind of cute together like i don't necessarily like mora with a, a man <laughs> but like they talk like they've known each other a while sometimes you get actors on like a show like this you could call it a boyfriend of the week and they just don't they don't mesh but these two they kind of mesh um, I couldn't tell you why. Sometimes it just works. And I would like to thank whoever shot all these scenes of Mora being very pretty and her very hair, her very hair, her very good hair, like just perfect, makes good for screen capping. Um, he also says that brothers don't kill brothers. And so at that point, you know, you really recognize that Mora is seeing a pattern and also you see her put her hand on his towel and I think right then and there she realizes when he said the same line although she wouldn't know because that was Frost and Corsac I think right then and there she can tell that something's not right and she remembers that she's not part of that group anymore and so she decides to actually do a solid and like creep on him for Jane and you can just tell that Mora is no longer invested in this person. She might still like him and have like a fondness for him, but she knows now that it's not going to be anything else. Uh, Mora calls Jane from a car when they go get coffee. And she tells Jane about like uh, all the girl, the girlfriend he had and like who... 
his brother would have been hanging out with if he had a side piece. And she hangs up. But Jane's like, you know, why did you tell me all this? And Maura says, because I have your back. And that's how I like that phrase. I like because I have your back. And when it first came out, people ran with it. And then all of a sudden there's Maura and the, then Garrett Fair, Fairfield kissing, which is, I didn't need to see. But, you know, it solidifies the fact that she, she led him on so she could get information out of him. And she's playing him. So we've got Frost and Corsac talking back and forth. And then they get a phone call that they need to go to Coast Guard. But then they leave. And Frost is checking his Blackberry, which is adorable because I forgot Blackberry still existed. I don't know if they still do, but they definitely did then. You could tell that Blackberry was like in on the show because they're everywhere. And, like, you know, Wizardly and Isles truly made it when they started getting iPhones. So they found Adam Fairfield's boat. And the lawyer is right there. And he is kind of just, like, watching over. And <laughs> the guy who's the head of the Coast Guard kind of looks like Ratatouille. <laughs> but I didn't say that. Uh, he looks cocky, which is good. He's only got, like, two seconds of screen time, but he's believable. And then Jane... Doesn't get in his face, but she definitely throws her weight around. And then Mora comes up and has her back. So they go onto the boat, and you can tell that Jane is impressed that Mora is like, you know, you really should move. Um, so they say something about the uh, something about the boat. They're talking about how you know maybe he did just hit his head and fall, and then Jane's ready to admit that she was wrong. And you see Mora kind of, like, standing on the boat first off, looking like an HBIC. They found the inhaler. And, of course, she would know what medication is in that inhaler. But it ain't easy being wheezy. Like, don't shame them for having an inhaler. Uh, but Jane's about to admit that she's wrong. And then Mora is like, you know, he was murdered. Uh, kind of like a dun-dun-dun type thing. And also, ugh, that weather is perfect. Like, the white balance in these shots is great. <laughs> I know it seems really stupid, but all these shots that are shot inside, they're all super yellow, and you have to color correct them if you want to do anything with them, whether it be vidding or making screen caps or using them as, like, a source image for a, an edit or a manipulation. And it sucks having to color correct them, but anything done outside on the dock has, like, a pure white light, and it's great. Anyway, that was my tangent. Um, just seemed like the show is really good at banter. Um, more gold fleck comments. But I really like the way, at least in the first season and so far, I really like the way that they write Jane and Mora to have really good banter. They're both really witty. They don't have to cut each other down. They're not slut-shaming each other. Well, sometimes they do, but it, not in a really mean way. But you can tell that they have really good chemistry at this moment as best friends. But I would like to refer back to the first thing that Maura said in this episode, which is that people are attracted to people who are attracted to them. And the way these two interact, they are very attracted to each other. But, you know, that's, that's not for this episode. We'll wait till next episode. So... 
the uh, Mora makes some comments about how um, the Cabernet is chalky at the Dirty Robber where they end up. And she's like, the Cabernet is chalky. And you can tell she gets two glasses. And Jane tries to convince her to have a beer and says no. Um, so they start talking about love. And it's kind of cute because Mora is talking about what it was like to be in love with Garrett Fairfield. And she said, like, you know when you're in love and it feels like you've taken a substance. Which I'm over here like... How hard did you party in medical school, Mora? What did BCU do to you? But anyway. So now we have the... First off, a couple episodes ago, we found out that Mora knows what ABC parties are. <laughs> and she took substances in her college career. So I'm going to need an entire series about Mora being like this party animal in her early to mid-20s. I just, I just need it for personal reasons. Anyway, Mora is blushing, and Sasha Alexander is a great actress, can I just say? I mean, Angie Harmon's good too, but Sasha's just really good at being Mora and giving her uh, a lot of character in which, like, somebody else who played this role could have done it very two-dimensional and very flat, because that's how she was supposed to be. But she's, like, super sunny and smart and witty and funny and just all this good stuff. Um... So, anyway, Mora is talking about being in love, and Jane is smiling really cute, like, swooning cute. So she is definitely, like, Jonesen. And so, anyway, Mora gives Jane an invitation to Adam Fairfield's funeral. And Jane's like, can I just wear this? And Mora is like, no. And then <laughs> Jane is like, you sure I won't embarrass you? And then Mora says... You know, I embarrass you all the time, don't I? And Jane says, no more than a half dozen times. So, let's see. They, oh, she that's when she says the line about how she does have most of her money tied up in charitable donations, but, you know, not all of it. And then, cut to them going to the funeral at the Fairfields, and they look cute. I know there's a couple times where they walk in together wearing nice clothes. Angie Herman plays this wonderfully because she, like, is very uncomfortable. We all know that Angie Harmon in real life is super high fashion. But she plays it really well as, like, Jane being a quote-unquote tomboy in a pretty dress. And being very uncomfortable and holding her little clutch and then being in love with that champagne... And grabs the second glass. Mora looking on like, yep, you've already embarrassed me. Um, <laughs> Jane was like, how much is this? A hundred? Thinking like a hundred dollars a bottle. And then Jane and Mora's like, uh, for a glass, maybe. <laughs> and then uh, Garrett wants to talk to Mora. So Mora hands her glass to Jane. And I know you're not really supposed to be focusing on Jane, but just watch how she looks at those three champagne flutes because, oh my God, that's how I look at my food when it's cooking in the pan. <laughs> like, she gives it a look of love. Um, and then you have the really cool... I don't know what's cool. It's really funny. The Jane versus the fish. The rich fish. 
<laughs> honestly, <laughs> anytime someone takes me to a restaurant that's more fancy than Olive Garden, I'm like, oh, I'm so out of my league. Can someone fetch me a breadstick? Like, watching, first off, watching Mora tell Jane how to cut the fish was very much like, hi, I'm Mora Isles, and in this video, I'll show you how to cut a rich fish. Like, Mora should be a YouTuber. She should. Um, and then Jane being like, mm-mm, that's not how we do it. And all those people at the table look so violently uncomfortable that it is just so worth it. And then, like, first off, them cutting that fish, very detailed. That's kind of gross. But Jane just stabs it right in the fish gut, and it just, the eye pops out. <laughs> and, uh, it gets all over her dress, and then everyone just starts staring at Jane, and it is very funny. So, uh, then you just see Mora looking at her plate like, well, this is what happens when I bring you here. And you can see Jane looking at her dress like, what? And then that poor fish is just still dead. But it's it looks embarrassed, too. We'll give, we'll give it to the fish. Shout out to the fish for being good at playing dead. Um, and so they have a little bit of discussion about how, you know, just how nice this place is and how it's going. And then they walk right past Adam Fairfield's grieving wife and the younger brother, not Garrett, Sumner, Sumner. And they're like, Ooh, brother was cheating. And so they're about to like, like you see Jane take off of her party eyes and put on the professional ones like Mr. Potato Head. And then they, she starts charging and she's about to get them and she whips out her badge. Where did she keep that? Cause she whips it out. Anyway. Um, oh, and I'm watching it live and I just noticed her, uh, her clutch disappeared, but you know, that's fine. Whatever. So, oh, now it's in her hand. Okay. So the lawyer inter intervenes and says, this is what I've been hiding. And then Jane is like, really, really? That's all you were hiding? You were such a dick to us and you were hiding an affair? And so they go look at like some footage from the hotel called Video Viewer, which I guess, whatever. But it's security footage from a hotel showing that both of those two had an alibi because they were both in a hotel room together while their brother was being murdered. And then also Mora noticed that the cashmere um, in his sweaters were was really low quality and that there should be no way that he was using cashmere that cheap. And then, you know, they're all like, Garrett is a broke bitch. And Mora looks really disheartened and really sad and still defends him, kind of. But then, kind of, is really sad about how she didn't see it coming. But she did. She already knew. You could tell when she, when she turned 
Garrett in and spied on him technically. She was already, you know, out of that. She wasn't, she wasn't attached anymore. Jane tells her, you know, that your gut instinct, you had subconscious clues, you were telling yourself, you know, subconsciously not to trust him. And then, uh, Mora's like, oh, 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 you know, Adam had this inhaler and it was for a disease that is genetic and it's not possible that he could have had it and his brothers not had it. So then, you know, you find out that Adam was, I'm sorry, every time I say Adam, I just think of the vine, Adam, I decided to say that. So anyway, uh, you find out that Adam was a half-brother. He had a different father. And now the phrase brothers don't kill brothers makes a lot of sense. And it's just really sad to see Mora so shaken up. Um, now my cats are fighting. So anyway, Mora goes on and on about how Adam couldn't have been a brother. And that's why he never got the inheritance. That's why... Garrett spent through all of his money and had to cut corners using cheap cashmere and that that's why he never paid any of the any of the people like distributors warehouse workers he was super behind he was trying to kill his brother so he could get all them riches back and take control of the company and so once Jane is like, oh, Garrett killed his brother, but his half-brother, not a real brother, which is so bogus, but seems like so in character for that family to do. Like, if you got the Mayflower manifest in your house, I'm sure that's exactly how you'd feel about a half-brother. But, like, ah, I hate commentaries like that, because blended families are fine. Um, So, Jane and Mora go back to the pool where Garrett was and Mora just was. And a nice, like, returning to the same scene, but also probably wanted to save money with the same setup. They're walking like a power couple on the fancy grass, and all I can think of is why isn't Mora sinking in the grass? Because I've worn heels exactly once on grass, and it was horrible. So they go up to Garrett. They show that if he was hiding the part that he bludgeoned, Adam with in his car, but he threw the other one at the bottom of the river, and the one that he had in his car was new, but it matches the indentation perfectly. Uh, Garrett tries to get Mora to be on his side, and then the lawyer kind of grows some balls finally and comes up and is like, you need to get out of the pool, dude. And he was like, can't you make them leave? You work for me. And the lawyer's like, uh, I work for the Fairfields. So, like, sass attack. And then, so they caught the killer. Woo! It's Garrett. Even though Moore didn't want it to be. Uh, so, we end at the Dirty Robber. Which, I love that most of these episodes end in the Dirty Robber. It's a really nice, like, repetition. I think it's cute. I like the way they shoot it. It makes them look, like, super, like, intimate and romantic. Where they can talk about... Their cases and stuff. I don't know. I like it. So, my cat is so loud. I'll put a picture of him up so you guys can see. I actually have three, but one's just being really bad. 
Uh, so Jane gets Mora to drink a beer in a shoot, and then she's like, well, I want to try it your way. So then they waste an entire beer in a wine glass. Like, no, you drink that beer. But she gets her a Spucky, which is very Boston. And uh, Mora says that's delicious. And I don't know. Oh, yeah. I forgot. A Spucky isn't... It's not a term for a beer. And I'm wondering if she means that she's going to get more uh, to like Spuckies. But those are like subs, like a hoagie. And so I don't know if they just... If the person who wrote this just grabbed a random piece of Boston slang and tried to... uh tried to pass it off or if there was some sort of missing line where Jane was going to try to get more to try a Spucky which would be really funny but what I need more to try is like a rack of ribs and like a $3,000 blouse that's funny uh so anyway it's really cute at the end Mora slums with Jane and drinks her beer um anyway so that was the whole episode I go back and forth on it. I like it. I think it's 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 adorable. Like it's it's pretty original. Um, it's we're still building people's characters. It was nice for Mora to combat a lot of internalizing, um, not even internalizing, like projecting onto the case, as was Jane. But it was also nice for Jane to realize that not everybody's out to get her, and that. Mora's past, not past life, but Mora's past is not offensive to her. Mora has not done anything to her. And of all the wealthy people in Boston, I'll bet you Mora is one of the most ethical, considering she talks about all of her charitable donations. And uh, I don't know, I think it sets up some cool stuff. Uh, so I'm really excited for next week's episode. I guess next two weeks episode. Uh, Because it's one of my favorite, and if you've ever followed this show, then you know that (laughs) it's a good one. It's going to be a long one. I'm going to see if I can get someone to come on and talk about it with me. It's kind of lonely talking to yourself. (laughs) Maybe my cat will join me. Who knows? I'm that type of person. Anyway, anyway. So, as always, if you have any thoughts, you can send them to shippingupdombostonpod at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on Twitter. The Twitter for this is shipping up to pod because our wonderful character limits. Otherwise, you can hit me up on Instagram, which is shipping up to Boston Pod. I check all of them frequently. I don't post as much as I should, but this podcast is just starting out, so there's not like a huge like following yet I don't have a ton of interaction yet but I'm not doing it for any notoriety or anything I'm just doing it because it's fun and I used to talk to a lot of people about Rizzoli and Isles all the time and I still want to and I've met some really cool people because of it so once again the email is shipping up to Boston pod at gmail.com the Instagram is shipping up to Boston pod and the Twitter is shipping up to pod so you can message me on any of those if you have any you know Uh, questions, comments, concerns, or if you want to talk about your experience with Rizzoli and Isles, I will share it. Or if you have any fan works you want to send me, if you want me to highlight a certain fan fiction or author or video 
or if you want to talk about one of your favorite moments from the episodes prior. I try to keep this very spoiler-free, even though there's not a ton of spoilers in this show, because I'm not going to lie, not much happens. It's more of a case-by-case, like, show, but I don't know. Um, my personals are Kathy Sucks with two X's on everything. You can talk to me there. I'm a pretty public person. Um, you can see the, I don't know. I used to have a Tumblr where I made a bunch of, like, fan works. No one checks Tumblr anymore. I certainly don't. They've done some weird things. But my old Tumblr that I had was Kathy Makes Stuff. And I used to make, like, screen caps and, like, fan fiction and stuff. But I don't really do that anymore. But you can check it out if you want. Anyway, so that's the end of this one. Um, I'm going to try to record as many as I can so I can stay on track. Uh, anyway, so that was the fifth episode of Rizzoli and Isles. This is Shipping Up to Boston Pod, and stay shippy!